Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to acknowledge conventions such as WeedonCon. WeedonCon is a fan-generated charity event for Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel, Firefly, and all Joss Whedon creations. It is scheduled for October of 2020 and is held in Los Angeles, California. Portion of the proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship. See details at WeedonCon.com. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have Jean-Pierre Jagnoli, a fantastic person in general and a great conversation. You're going to find us bounce all the way around from science fiction to science fact and everything in between. We're going to start off with a great conversation about Ghostbusters and who knows where it goes from there. Let's get started. On mic today, we have Jean-Pierre Gignoli. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Aaron. How are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, man. Back off me, man. I'm a scientist. <laughs> nice. <laughs> same here, same here. So we, we can actually, we don't have to back off. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, you were introduced to me as being the world's biggest Ghostbusters fan, and that alone made me say, I got to sit down and talk to this guy. So. <laughs> Nice, nice. I don't know about the world's biggest, but I'm definitely a huge Ghostbusters fan. <laughs> and, and, you know, from the quick back and forth we had earlier, I definitely can see uh, you know a lot of stuff I don't, and I know a fair amount as it is, so uh, we're, we're pretty evenly paced there. Definitely. So what do you love about the franchise more than anything else? Um, I think uh, because it really starred a few of my favorite comedians. I grew up really, um, you know, lucky enough that my parents let me stay up and watch like Johnny Carson and Saturday Night Live when I was very little. Mm -hmm. And I remember seeing, you know, Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and, uh, you know, a lot of those guys. And I think there was that connection to it as well. Uh, but just uh, the fantasy of the movie, the the realism, it had that humor, sci-fi touch to it. Uh, just mm -hmm. it kind of it was almost like a perfect mesh together of of everything it tried to do. It just mm -hmm. did it really well, and I think that's what makes it so great and so iconic. The phrase "lightning in a bottle" gets thrown around with that movie a lot, and I really can't think of a better turn of phrase for that. It just everything worked right at that exact moment in time. Uh, agreed. Yeah, that's definitely a great way to put it. I'm seeing the figures on the cards there behind you there. I'm assuming those are the new repros. That's right. I had to go pick them up, man. It took took a lot of work because uh, Walmart and with COVID, like, you know, they don't have the information. They don't know if it's in stock. Uh, but, yeah, I was able to hunt them down and get, get all six for my collection. So. <laughs> well, you probably did the right thing by physically going to the store and, and fighting the crowds because – I have seen horror stories about what Walmart does when they try to ship those things. I watched a few YouTube videos myself. Oh, pretty disappointed. And also, the cards have been changing. Apparently, Ray Parker Jr., uh, his publishing company, has the rights to the phrase, who you going to call. Mm -hmm. And the cards that were sent to Walmart have it on there, but they changed the cards now, and they no longer contain who you going to call because they have to pay royalties to the publishing company. So I feel like that's another rarity I ended up getting by going directly to the store instead of getting the uh, the pre-orders. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see that they're coming out. I hope that this continues and that they produce those kinds of things, uh, not only for the original line, but maybe even expanding to stuff that hasn't been released yet or could be released. 
True. Definitely agree with that. Yeah, I also got the whole Plasma series. I pre-ordered those, so mm -hmm. those got shipped to me very nice, thankfully, because that's directly from Hasbro. You're not dealing with anybody else. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I got the whole Plasma series as well. Uh, so definitely cool. And I pre-ordered the uh, the Egon's uh, Neutrano one. So that's coming out in the fall, and it has full lights and sound, all that good stuff. So I was like, yeah, I got to get it. <laughs> I missed when Mattel released. I wasn't really a collector back when Mattel released the, the trap and the, the Toronto wand and the goggles and the PKE. Because um, I just wasn't a big collector back at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, so I really missed out on those. Because now, like, you probably won't spend less than, like, a, a grand to 500 to a grand trying to collect mm -hmm. those uh, Mattel collector series. So I've got... Uh... Quick story for you there, and you will appreciate this. Um, how many conventions do you go to when you have the opportunity? Um, I started actually going more in recent years before COVID hit. Um, uh, there's a big Halloween event out here in California. I went. I went in my full. I have the full suit, proton pack, all that stuff. So I went in full Ghostbusters gear one of the days uh, for that convention. So every once in a while I go to conventions. I have a few little cosplays I put together. So. Uh, when those Mattel started releasing those really nice collector series of the, I think it was the, the ghost trap. Uh, I was working at a convention. I was working right next door to a toy dealer who happened to get that in stock on that particular day. It literally arrived right from the mail. Uh, somebody brought it into him at the convention and he was so excited. He literally took the box put it in the middle of the show floor and started doing an unboxing right in the middle of a busy convention. And you know, those things were like, you know, a box within a box within a box and it was packing peanuts everywhere. It's like, you could not wait to get that ghost trap out. Definitely. Yeah. One of my good buddies, who's also a huge Ghostbusters fan uh, and he, he has all the Maddie stuff. He's, he's built his own um, mm -hmm. video game proton pack. So it has the slime mode, all that. It's all decked out like the video game one is. Uh, yeah, so he, he has that, and it was really cool. I went to his house for a Halloween party once. Um, I didn't go as a Ghostbuster that year in particular, but, um, yeah, it was really cool to see his setup and all his collection, and I was like, that's awesome. I would love to see that. Uh, but, so, okay, let me throw this out at you, because when we were talking last time, we were discussing kind of the, the, the... the subtleties of the movie and the things you could infer based on information that might have been included in a toy or in a in the cartoon that you can kind of weave okay one thing our mutual acquaintance was bringing up was the car and i was wondering in the tv show you saw those guys going to you know hawaii and they would go to the the outer you know countryside of new york and they were always making these road trips and anybody who's ever had a an ecto unit will tell you those things got terrible mileage mm -hmm. how 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 much were they losing just in gas money i don't know i think that's the beauty of uh the cartoon world is you don't have to worry about actual pricing of that but oh man probably a lot because i mean that the vehicle itself the actual cadillac ambulance uh, -huh. uh 1959 uh, miller meteor ambulance is a heavy vehicle i mean that's made out of you know the old school cars were made out of steel and metal and so they're heavy to boot, which makes that mileage even less just because mm -hmm. of what. And then all this extra stuff they put on that vehicle for the movie makes it even heavier. So you're probably getting even less mileage based on the stuff that they've thrown at that uh, vehicle. So they were probably wasting a lot of money driving where they drove with that Ecto mm -hmm. in the cartoon. Yeah, and I had because I, even at the time I was wondering, why would they drive that far in that little thing? <laughs> 
And and to be fair, I mean, I there was a uh, just our our friend mentioned a picture of me in the Ecto unit. A it wasn't the actual car; it was a repro. The guy who owned it said that he would usually have it towed to conventions because it wasn't worth the gas money to actually put it on the road. It's true, yeah. Um, I actually got to sit in the original Ecto after it was refurbed for the mm-hmm. video game release. Uh, th- that got pushed back a lot, but one year I was working at Not Scary Farm as a monster, because Halloween, obviously, loving Ghostbusters and really ghost, uh, you know, real ghost stuff in the real world. I'm a big Halloween fan, mm-hmm. and I was working as a monster at Not Scary Farm, and uh, they had a giant state pluff inflatable with the banner for the video game, and the Ecto-1 that they refurbed... Um, I think it was for an anniversary, too, but they referred for the video game. Sony dropped it off, and they brought it on a truck, too. They didn't drive it there, so they, they actually towed it there as well. Um, but, yeah, I got to sit inside of it and take a picture as well. Uh, my The tech guys who were able to move the car around, uh, I knew them, and they were like, oh, yeah, man, go ahead. You can take a seat in it if you want. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm sitting in the Ecto. Like, this is so cool. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let me let me bounce this off of here because you're the probably the only person who would actually be able to follow my thought process here. The Ghostbuster Firehouse, the sticker in there of the old lady and the red hat and the purple dress. Okay, number one, that's totally Granny Gross, right? It, it definitely it's, seems like it to me. If it's, okay. it, it has the characteristics of Granny Ghost, for sure. Okay, and it, it's odd because there's the, the, the show had so many literary references written into the titles. I always wondered if that was like from the Red Hat Lady Society the books which were popular just before Ghostbuster came out. True, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, uh, you know what I mean? In, in the creative process, inspiration comes from everywhere, and sometimes real life. That's another big thing I loved about the movie Ghostbusters mm-hmm. is uh, Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather was actually a pioneer in the field of parapsychology and the paranormal. He wrote books on it. They used to have seances and bring, like, world-famous clairvoyance and stuff into their homes and do that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So what I loved about when I started studying real parapsychology and the paranormal is I found out Ghostbuster used all the proper terminology for ghosts. Ectoplasm is a real term and a real mm-hmm. thing. I mean, it's not common like in the movie, but it, like that, that blew, me, blew my mind. Like when I found out Bill Murray's character had a PhD in parapsychology and that was a real thing, I was like, I want that degree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, like, I want to I study that. I, I also kind of always thought that that particular person was always Ray's Aunt Lois he keeps referring to but that that's just my personal theory nice so how does your your experience with ghost hunting tie into your love of Ghostbusters tell me a little more about that um well uh literally I'm directly inspired by Ghostbusters uh Mm -hmm. to uh go towards the paranormal uh my mom saw the movie uh, a week before I was born in the movie theater, she was ready to pop with me. So from the womb, I think I was a fan. I joke around that Ray Parker Jr.'s hypnotic tune got stuck in my head even in, you know before I was born. Um, but again, it, I, I loved that movie. I loved part two as well. And they were some of my favorite movies as a child. Um, I had my own paranormal experiences as a kid. And that, I think, just connected me more with the movie. Like, wait a minute. You know, this is for fun and entertainment, but there's some, you know, truth to what what they said in the movie. And like I said, they use real terminology, all that kind of stuff when I started studying it. Um, so uh, it really tied in. And then, like I said, I noticed Bill Murray's character said, oh, I have my Ph.D. in uh, psychology and parapsychology. And that for some reason, that particular line that he says stuck with me. And so the older I got and the more I studied the paranormal red books, looked into it. I was like, wait a minute, parapsychology is a real thing. Like, you can actually study it. And 
And that, you know, even drove me more to be like, well, this is one of my favorite movies. These are some of my favorite comedians and characters. Um, I kind of want to, you know, look into this more and go further. So really, I think it was the it was the connection of my experiences with the paranormal and seeing the movie Ghostbusters that really brought it all together and made it real and was like, well, let me let me go explore and take it even further. And, you know, I want to I always said as a kid, my two favorite things were Ghostbusters and Ninja Turtles. And I always said, I want to grow up and be a Ghostbuster, and I want to grow up and live in the sewers like the Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. I don't know if I want to, now that I know what the sewers are all about, I don't know if I want to live in the sewers necessarily. <laughs> but I definitely wanted to grow up and be a Ghostbuster, and I got one of my dreams to come true because I earned my PhD in parapsychology in 2009. Um, I run a nonprofit paranormal organization. I investigate the paranormal. Um, we have cleansed homes and things like that and gotten rid of spirits. So, I mean, technically, I did grow up to be a Ghostbuster. So there's definitely a huge connection there with even though it is a comedy sci-fi movie, there's some truth behind um, the, the terminology they use, the research they did for the movie, and to get it accurate and truthful. Uh, I think that just added to my interest and made it more real than just a movie for me. And for the benefit of some people who are not nearly as into this as you and I are, when you're saying there's some truth to it, they actually, the, the writers of the, the movie actually went to MIT and said to them, okay, if you can say that there really were ghosts and this is what they were, what tools would you use to find them and catch them? And that, and that the, the stuff in the movie is basically what they told them. Yeah, no, exactly true. They did an immense amount of research. And you can, again, most of the credit, at least of how in-depth they went, can go to Dan Aykroyd, because Dan Aykroyd is fascinated by the paranormal. Again, his mm -hmm. great-grandfather was a pioneer in the field of parapsychology and the paranormal. He grew up around all that kind of stuff. And I think because of that, he had so much knowledge that he knew the right places to go do the research at. Like, well, let's, you know, let's think about it on a scientific level. Like, how, mm -hmm. how would we describe these things? How would you go about determining what they are? You know, and they really thought about the scientific method they would use to do this. And that's what really mm -hmm. brought so much authenticity to what those characters did in the movie. There, We've had a couple of science-based guests on over the years. And, and I love to talk about the the boundaries of knowledge and what we, and, you know, because people are like, well, are you anti-science? No, I'm not anti-science. I love science. But there are questions it handles very well, and there are questions it doesn't. And when you start to transition from one to the other, I find what can tell you what very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're saying, okay, uh, you just had a very strange experience, and you don't know where it came from, how much can science tell us, and, and what are the gaps after that? And, and that's probably a lot of what parapsychology is. Can you give me a little detail on that? Yeah, of course, definitely. So um, to break it down, uh, it, I think it's very important uh, to bring psychology into the picture with parapsychology. Obviously, mm -hmm. it's part of the whole term. Um, and psychology is really the study of human behavior, you know, how the mind works, how we interact, our behaviors, things like that. And I think it it's important to know that when you're dealing with something that's outside of those boundaries that we're usually accustomed to. Mm -hmm. um, and that's kind of where parapsychology comes in, where it's um, you know, paranormal is essentially means beyond normal. So mm -hmm. parapsychology means beyond psychology. So you're going beyond just the physical things that we can actually test. Um, an example would be like we go in and we try to use the scientific method when we investigate the paranormal. We eliminate all natural sources or causes that could cause people to think they're dealing with something that's mm -hmm. not normal. 
So you go in, you test, you find out if, you know, like an example would be we went into a house once and they claim to have all this paranormal activity and they seem sincere and, um, you know, uh, very, uh, they believe that this was, was what was going on in their home. Come to find out, we go in the attic where they were too scared to go and there's a bunch of nests in the attic. And obviously there's something got inside, there's rodents and they're getting in the walls and they're creating all these noises. So at the end of the day, that wasn't, we were able to use a scientific method to determine that this is not something paranormal. Actually, you have Mm -hmm. rodents or other things in the house that are running around and making you think there's something else going on. But from, we were able to determine doing our testing out and, you know, going places they were afraid to go, we're able to determine this isn't uh, paranormal. Now on the other side of the spectrum, we go in and we test for all the natural sources of, uh, hey, do you have an old house? Is there leaky pipes? Is there, you know, other things going on? Uh, things you may not have noticed that, you know, a trained eye could come in and say, oh, that's probably this. Um, so you eliminate all of the natural causes of things you may think are supernatural. That's when you start getting into the realm of, okay, we've uh, exhausted all of our scientific method to test what's going on here. And we can't find a normal, rational, logical explanation for what you experienced and, in some cases, what we experienced while we were at these locations. Um, At that point, that's when you say, we're dealing with something that is not normal here. You're dealing with something paranormal, supernatural, out of the bounds of normal human reason. Um, So it's, it's really using that. If you're truly doing it using the scientific method, you exhaust all of the um, tests and methods of science mm-hmm. until you determine it's something beyond that. And that's when we start getting into more of maybe the spiritual side, depending on what it is, um, where, you know, science maybe can't go as far. And you start coming up with your own theories of what it could be since science couldn't explain what was going on. I'd like just to to give another example. I had a psychic on the show a couple episodes back. And he told me something, uh, well, I mean, I cut out some of it, to be fair, but um, I I will tell you that he told me a few things that I don't think he should have been able to know about people he's never met. And there's a lot of explanations that could be for that. I mean, we could say, did he just get a lucky guest? Or did, you know, maybe I, you know, is there some research out there that he could have done? I don't know. But... That's the one possibility we can say he knew something that he shouldn't have been able to know. Mm-hmm. So, again, we can look at the possible real-world explanations and some that require us to believe things that we can't prove. Exactly. Yeah, no, and that's a great way to put it, definitely. Because, I mean, in those realms, you have to be very careful. Because my theory on extrasensory perception, which is a part of parapsychology, you study mm-hmm. how the human mind... Uh, A a real world example of these types of things are like if uh, a car flips over, right, and the mother is able to get out of the car and their child is trapped in the car. There are many, many cases of this, not just mothers, fathers, whoever. Mm -hmm. They're in that moment of adrenaline, of of fear, of everything. They're able to lift the car by themselves. Mm -hmm. One human by themselves lift that kind of amount of weight on their own in order to save their child's life or someone's life. Now, this has been well documented that it happens. And again, this is beyond the normal human capabilities most Mm -hmm. of the time. But yet in these scenarios, we find you can get this incredible amount of strength. So I think if that exists and is well documented, 
then what's to say it can't exist that the human mind has a larger capacity to take in information and things that most people can't do most of the time. And my theory is that everybody has these abilities, but life fills you up. You know, they say we're a sponge when we're a child, right? We take in everything and absorb everything, that we, all the information, uh, sounds, people, all this stuff we take in and we absorb, but a sponge at some point gets full and can't retain any more information. And I think that's the problem with, with us as humans is we have such a structured society. Your religion makes you believe certain things. Society, family, I mean, mm -hmm. the list goes on and on. You're, you're really um, controlled in a lot of ways to believe a certain thing. You put blinders on. And I think when you do that, you take away the possibility of experiencing other things, you know, and we could do it on a real world scale where like, for example, people who are afraid of other people because of their skin color or their culture or their beliefs, they tend to shut themselves off to that. And I think on a larger scale as a human being, you can shut yourself off to other experiences just by having a closed mind to other possibilities. So if you can do it with like, I never eat this type of food, you can do it with, I've never seen this. So therefore it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, like and to use your your car example there, I mean we can say uh, a physician could say, well, you're talking about the amount of adrenaline, which is a known chemical that gets pumped into the body and it gets released in those circumstances, and that's an instinctual thing, and, and that's that's great. They can document the mechanics behind it, yeah. and I could say if you were a psychic, somebody could say, well, maybe I can just look at you, and I'm very capable. I can look at your eyes and say you're upset. And you're probably upset for a very particular personal reason. And, oh, hey, maybe you're having a fight with your girlfriend. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that maybe you're just very good at reading those things. But even if you can look at it as a very fundamental, physical, real world thing, that's still an amazing talent. And it's still a perception. That's the word I'm looking for. A perception that we're that is not normal. That is yeah. beyond normal human experience. So saying it's beyond normal experience is not saying it's not explainable. It's not anti-science. It's just saying we accept that this is the part we can't understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, very true. Like I said, yeah, like I think, you know, you expanded upon the uh, the car example of adrenaline and going through all that. But you still can't explain how on a normal day uh, with that, you know, situation, like you can't do that. So, you know right. what I mean? It's just like, yeah, it's that it's that moment. And then, again, if you want to use that example, some people could tap into that. It seems like more often than others, mm -hmm. you don't need the adrenaline necessarily to do it. Um, if you're able to tap into maybe like what do they say? We understand maybe and use 10 percent of our brains mm -hmm. and our minds. What about that other 90 percent? If you could tap right. into that even a little bit. I think you can do extraordinary things. So, like I, I, the example I would always use, if uh, there are many, many cases of this, but you get a dream about something that's happening that, and then you find that you wake up and you realize something very similar to that just happened in the real world while you were sleeping, and you're the, the only way you know about it is from your dream. That happens. Yes. And there, yeah. there you you can't connect that. We can talk about how the dream happened and maybe you know, psychologically what components were there. But at the end of the day, there is a gap in the knowledge there. Yeah, no, definitely completely. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that out there. You know, we're using a few examples, but I mean, someone like me who studied this and encountered so many different scenarios, like there's so many things that I've encountered that are strange, you know, and mm -hmm. you're unexplainable at the end. Like, how did a person know that kind of information? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, things like that. So 
definitely uh, very interesting. Like an example, I would use my brother's a medium and he's part of my paranormal team. One of the craziest examples I have, and we always try to test the spiritual and scientific together, that, mm -hmm. that you know, extrasensory perception plus science. So mm -hmm. we keep my brother away from all the information. He's not allowed to go on the property. He's not allowed to research. He's not allowed to do anything. Uh, we went to this theater in La Habra investigated, and he literally, and he had never been there before. This is the first time he's ever there. He went to the exact spot a man had a heart attack, and he walked in that spot on the stage in this theater, held his chest and said, like, I feel pain in my chest. Like, I, I see like a man, you know, and he described a person that everybody in this theater knew, went to the exact spot he collapsed and died from a heart attack. Literally the entire, um, you know, workforce of the theater, they ran out of that theater scared because they're like, there's no way you'd be able to walk to the exact spot where this man passed away and describe him and his personality. And some of the people were trying to deny the way my brother described his personality. Like, he was kind of a grumpy guy, you know, he seemed like this and that. And only one of the girls was like, no, he wasn't really like that. And an older lady in the theater was like, come on, you got to be honest. He was a little grumpy, like that is personality. And she's like, I know, it's just too freaky that he stood on that spot and described what happened. And it was such a long time ago, you know, so that some stuff like that is what we're testing. You know, we'll go in with our equipment and we'll test areas for high energy and things like that. And again, my brother's not allowed to be there on location. We bring him to do a walkthrough and see what he picks up. And he'll go to sometimes either the spots we get high readings at and say, I feel something here. Or he'll go to a spot that the client brought us to and told us, you know, this is where the activity happened or this is where most of the stuff happens. And like, oh, I feel, you know, something strong in this room. And it's like, so that's kind of a way, you know, and obviously not fully, but it's a way that we try and test the scientific method and the paranormal together when we're out there. So. Awesome. Uh, that, that's, I love that kind of idea. And that, like I said, I I believe in stuff, but I'm also very strong in the science camp, so I can see how both work together instead of separately. Yeah, and we, we call our whole team, we call ourselves um, skeptical believers because mm -hmm. we think it's, it's doing a disservice if you go in with a, a notion that it's already haunted, it's already a ghost, it's already this. We'd rather go in and say, okay, these people seem sincere, they claim the, this activity, let's go check it out and see if we can find a reason for this happening. And once we eliminate all those reasons, then we can mm -hmm. determine maybe it's something beyond, you know, what we what we know to exist on the scientific side of things. So can you tell me, <clears throat> OK, what's the most interesting experience you've had doing this? Uh, most interesting. Um, I mean, to be honest, I find it all interesting. I probably okay. have to talk about some of my most uh, intense experiences. All right. And one That's of the craziest, because rarely do I have things happen to me directly. Of course, I've seen things and had experiences. But one in particular, we did a case in Bellflower, California. It was a private home. Uh, it was in this little cul-de-sac, two-story house. Um, they reported normal activity, you know, paranormal stuff, uh, at least normal for us, what we're used to hearing about. Um, nothing too crazy or insane. Um like you might see in a Hollywood movie or, you know, the exaggerated uh, stuff they do sometimes. Uh, so literally, as soon as we arrived at the property, we got out of our cars before any filming. We just met the client uh, that on the second story balcony, they had metal chairs and a metal table. One of the metal chairs slid from under the table on its own. Nobody was in the house. Nobody else was in there. So we literally asked the client, can we go inside and check what that noise was? 
And we all went upstairs. She she led us through. We got to the balcony, and she said, yeah, it had to be this chair. It wasn't like that when you guys uh, first arrived. It looked like it got pulled out from under the table. So, of course, we started setting our equipment right away, getting ready, and it didn't. that particularly didn't happen again. Um, but throughout the night, we're investigating. One of my investigators and the client's son said they saw an apparition of a woman in the restroom in, like, a, a like a big gown dress, but it was bloody. And they kind of freaked out when they saw it. Now, only two witnesses saw that. Not everybody saw it. Um, so we continued investigating. Sometimes what we do throughout the uh, investigation, because we're there for hours at a property, is we'll let our equipment run audio, video, and we'll leave the property and see if maybe that'll coax it out to like do stuff while nobody's around. So it was close to 4 a.m. We all went to 7-Eleven to get some snacks and drinks, stay up. You know, it was a late night. Um, we come back to the property and on the dot at 4 a.m., we all hear Native American chanting. So it echoes through the entire neighborhood. The clients heard it, my whole team heard it. We jumped in cars, we went on foot, we ran around, drove around the neighborhood. We could it was a weeknight. We couldn't find a source for this. We don't know where it came from. We all came back and uh, we noticed my wife was part of my team missing. And we were like, I thought she was with you. No, I thought she was with you. Okay, so we all run out of the house and we notice her drinks in the middle of the street in the cul-de-sac, but we don't see her. So my tech guy's about to jump in his car again and drive around. I start running down the block, and I see her at the corner. So I run up. I check on her, like, hey, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I've been here the whole time. And we're like, no, there's no possible way. I ran by this spot. Our, our other part of the team drove by this spot. You weren't there. And she's like, oh, I'm, I'm fine. You know, worry about it later. Okay. I tried to press the issue, but she didn't want to talk about it then. So we went back to the house. Started breaking down probably around 5 a.m., uh, wrapping up everything, talking with the client, taking our equipment. And uh, in that time frame, before we started breaking down and before 4 a.m., uh, the client's sister showed up very late in the wee morning hours. She came in the house, went by us, and we just all felt kind of weird because we, our eyes had adjusted to the darkness already because we're sitting in the dark with our night vision cameras running. And nobody really saw her, and she kind of just went by quietly. And everybody just kind of got a weird vibe. Um, so I'm breaking down one of the cameras closer to 5 a.m. off the stairwell. And all of a sudden, I feel like something huge is like charging at me, you know, like almost like a, a linebacker or something was coming at me. And I kind of braced because I didn't know what was happening. And it's this little petite Latina girl coming down the stairs. And I just got a weird vibe. And I looked at my other team member that was with me and I said, I think she's the source of what's going on here. Like, I just got a weird feeling. I, I've never felt that way. Um, and I consider myself kind of an empath sensitive too. Um, so we were bringing down equipment and this, this girl won't take her eyes off me. I'm going behind walls, bringing my equipment in, you know, putting stuff away. And for some reason, her focus and her gaze is just on me the entire time. And I was like, ah, I'm getting a really uncomfortable feeling about her. I don't know what's up, whatever. So I grab my last piece of equipment. I have to put it away in a bag that's right next to her on the couch. So I go up, put the thing in the, in the bag catch eyes with her for maybe five, 10 seconds. And all of a sudden my chest got really tight. I couldn't breathe. My eyes started watering and uh, I was, I ran out of the house. I had to, I just, at that point it was a safety issue for me and my health. So I was like, I need to get out. As soon as I left the threshold, I could breathe again. And my wife followed me, chased me out. She asked if I was okay. I said, I'm fine. I can't go back in there though. I don't know what just happened and I don't feel safe. So you guys finish bringing out the equipment and we'll call it a, call it a night. Um, I talked to the, the client and I told her, hey, I think your sister is a big part of this. And she told me something she didn't tell me before we investigated. 
her younger sister is involved with like witchcraft or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she said her and her co-workers like steal each other's combs and hair from their combs and do like brujaria because they were from Latinx descent. And that's like witchcraft, the Mexican version of witchcraft. They call it brujaria. Um, and I was like, yeah, I have a feeling that she's probably the source of this because, you know, what we experienced tonight. Um, long story short, we went back to the spot that my wife disappeared at. And when we went there, she collapsed and I had to catch her. And I was like, are you okay? And it's like, we need to get out of here. So we just left the property, left the area, got in our cars, went home. We woke up, me and my wife woke up the next morning, and um, I had a circular burn mark on my chest where I felt the tightness. I had never had any kind of visible things from the paranormal before that point in my life. I've had some intense experiences, but nothing like that left a mark. Um, My wife's wristwatch was exactly 15 minutes behind the exact amount of time she was missing for that night. And we talked about what had happened. And I guess she said she was standing on the corner and everything just got pitch black. She didn't see anything at all, but she felt like something breathing on her. She felt the moisture of the breath in front of her. And then all of a sudden she was back on that corner and she doesn't know where it was, what happened, but that was her experience of mine was the tightness of the chest, whatever, maybe witchcraft that girl was into or whatever. Maybe she honed in on my energy or something and messed with me. But that was one of the most interesting, beyond interesting experiences I've had. And the only thing we could find, because we did a lot of research on a local area, there was a huge power substation nearby. And there's a theory that these entities, or if you're dealing with witchcraft, things like that, they can use that immense amount of energy to manifest in certain ways, whether it show themselves, do the Native American chanting that we heard to echo throughout the neighborhood, um, you know, the physical things that happened to me. So uh, we're thinking that whatever was there in that property was using that power from that power substation to manifest and make that happen. So that was one of the more intense experiences that, I, again, I've never had a physical, um, you know, uh, anything happened to me before that point and to have an actual mark from it was very strange so that was one of the more intense interesting experiences i've had wow i have two questions for you right away a little one and a big one the little one is what kind of watch did she have oh you know i it was just uh it wasn't anything special that i remember it was um one of those normal it wasn't a digital watch it was one of the normal you know wrist watches that has you know the, the two the two hands Okay. Um, on it so it was one of those it was a mechanical watch um that's why i don't remember the brand or anything like that i was just kind of wondering about the mechanics of being able to stop it or send it backwards whatever the case would have been um the other one is and i have heard and this is i am not by any stretch a professional ghost hunter i have had associations with people i have done some research so i'm not a total dummy but you know way more than I do, and I'm asking you for this reason. Yeah. Um, I notice a trend when areas have a lot of activity. To me, it seems like there is a, a correlation between the denseness of the surroundings, the physical density of the surroundings, and the amount of energy that gets trapped there. Uh, I notice it, it, buildings that have a lot of stone, a lot of metal, a lot of glass seem to hold in these things better than other structures. Do you, does that pan out in your mind? Uh, yes, definitely. I've done a lot of research on that, a lot of study on that, and certain, um, certain minerals and, and types of things like quartz, uh, you know, in particular, 
and then this is even on a scientific level, they they are able to retain more energy. It's almost like their natural, like can get natural imprints of history or things that happen around them. And that energy is almost like, like captured in a way by certain types of stones, minerals uh, that are that are within uh, these types of materials. Uh, so it does seem like that that is there and part of where um, like energy can get trapped in. So I definitely definitely can say that attest to that that I've experienced that myself. Um, another theory which kind of connects to is um, when we're near large bodies of water, uh, especially natural water has a lot of minerals in it, and it's said that energy can be contained within that. And we tend to see more activity near large bodies of water, as if there's more energy that's almost contained within that natural element that these entities can draw from. So. Um, I definitely have seen that, uh, but we find too, there's a lot of history. We know in particular that area we investigated, um, there were uh, native California tribes that lived out there and there was a huge um, flood that killed a lot of people in that area. So we think that imprint of the tragedy that took place in the area too is probably why that energy got trapped there and why there's so much activity. Mm -hmm. um, how often do you see moisture being left behind after some sort of incident um that is not as often um but i have experienced it i know i've been in rooms where we had mirrors and it was a normal night and we were asking questions and trying to communicate with whatever was there the room got intensely cold and then the mirror like didn't frost over but moisture appeared on like half mm -hmm. of the mirror and that was very strange um I remember one time we were chasing something in this house and we like we, we heard some noise in the closet and I put my hand, just my normal hand to feel around to see if I felt anything. And I actually felt a breath on my hand and there was moisture on my hand after I, I felt the breath. So uh, we definitely encountered moisture uh, a few times. Um, and then again, when we find there's moisture around, like fog and things like that, it seems like there's more energy for these entities to pull from the moisture itself. Because um, we, we tend to experience more stuff around, like I said, bodies of water or, mo or moisture in the air, natural moisture in the air, too. We had uh, an incident in a house I was in many years ago. Uh, my wife and I had found, uh, to make a long story short, there was suddenly this one moment where the bed got incredibly damp with this foul smelling fluid that and, and the thing was that the way the house was set up there was no source of water in any way shape or form there was no leak in the ceiling there was no plumbing in that area there was really no way for that part to get wet and we could never figure out how it happened it only happened once but it was after a lot of other very odd experiences happened in a short period of time so we just always have been curious ever since yeah, no, um, and that's funny enough, we can go back to Ghostbusters on that, that's the literal definition of ectoplasm. Mm -hmm. That's what actual ectoplasm is. It's when um, you're potentially dealing with some sort of spirit or entity or something, and there's a physical, like, uh, almost liquid-like or gel-like manifestation that comes about mm -hmm. during, you know, in a place with paranormal activity. So that's literally ectoplasm, whether it's you know, small and simple, your sounds even a little more extreme than the cases that I described, where, yeah. you know, it actually got damp. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's definitely very interesting. And because, you know, that happens. And honestly, the first thing that came to our mind based on the location was 
did the dog pee on the bed? Which would have been the simplest answer, but no, we're talking the sheer volume meant that that was not the solution. I mean, we're talking about a huge, huge puddle. Yeah, that's that's definitely interesting. I know I had a college professor, and this wasn't even related to the paranormal, actually. It was a, um, I think it was like, Film history and sound, because I study radio, TV, and film as well. I have my bachelor's in radio, TV, and film, because I do acting and other stuff, comedy, all of that. You know, I do quite a bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And he had an old Victorian house uh, somewhere here in California. And there used to be, like, an extra bathroom upstairs that is no longer in use. They, They demolished it and got rid of it. They even got rid of the piping and all that kind of stuff. But they would have, like, pinkish fluid leaked through the ceiling and drip on the floor and they had someone come in and they actually tore apart the second floor and they said no those the pipes got taken out there's nothing here that would cause that we don't know what it is so literally they had ectoplasm leaking from the walls and the ceiling uh Mm -hmm. where this bathroom once existed so Mm -hmm. it's definitely very interesting very cool now i mean uh, I usually only I can only do about an hour's worth of content today, and you, you mentioned your acting. I really want to make sure I at least check on that too, because there's a lot I want to check ask you about there too. Have you done anything recently? Uh, right now, obviously, it's been a little slow. I've done a few projects from home, self tapes uh, for a few different projects about what's going on with the pandemic and things like that. Uh, but now most of it got pushed back because of COVID-19. Uh, hopefully in the fall, it looks like I have a few acting gigs coming up that uh, I'll be able to, to finally shoot, still with a lot of strict guidelines, obviously. Um, but Ford versus Ferrari was the most recent like big project I did. I shot mm-hmm. on two months for Ford versus Ferrari as one of the main uh, pit crew slash factory workers for Ferrari. Um, I speak fluent Italian, so it kind of helped that I had the Italian background to really uh, work on this film. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I did some commercials for Dark Harbor at Queen Mary where I perform as a monster and character where I scare people and all that. Um, so I did all their stuff. I was on merchandise for the event, which was a really cool, uh, awesome thing I got to do. And uh, I shot some other TV shows before the whole thing went down, but uh, they haven't been picked up yet. So there's some new seasons of some TV shows that should be happening. Well, cool. I mean, Ford versus Ferrari, I have not seen it yet. I really want to. And the thing is, I'm not really that much of a car guy, and it seems really interesting to me, the, the whole concept of the movie. So, that yeah. I mean, it, it's got a huge appeal. Uh, yeah, really definitely. And it's part funny, because I'm not a huge car guy either. I mean, I love I love technical stuff. I, I've learned how to work on my own car. I fix a lot of stuff myself. Uh, so, I love that aspect of it. But, yeah, I'm not a big race fan. I'm not a big all that. But to be part of that film and what what it was, we all knew it was something special when we were filming that movie. You know, not just that I was side by side with John Bernthal and Matt Damon and Christian Bale, which was incredible in itself, but just the scale and scope of the movie and what they put together for it, you knew the first day of shooting, you knew like, this is something special. We're part of something big. And it really was, it was, it was a really well done movie. Um, It was a Ford movie. So unfortunately, most of the stuff I did, did get cut. I was wondering if there's a European cut maybe that had a lot more of the stuff I did. <laughs> that would be really cool, actually. I could see yeah. that movie being cut twice, which in this day and age is not completely unheard of. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> and you've got a comedy reel and an acting reel, which I'm going to link to in the show notes on my website, AaronBossig.com, because oh. we're probably not going to get into that. But, I mean, you're a funny guy, so I definitely want to take a look at it. Appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. So I tell you what, uh, I would like to get together and talk with you again pretty soon because we've got 
I've got a whole lot more Ghostbuster things to bounce off you too. So yeah. I think we can have a lot of fun there. Have how many of the games have you played? Before let me ask that before I go. How many of the games? Um, you know, I think back in the day, I I only like touched a few of the games, like at friends' houses. Mm-hmm. But uh, Ghostbusters, the video game, uh, that is the epic game. I bought that, pre-ordered it. I have the T-shirt still that I got from GameStop back in the day when they first released it. I bought the remaster for my Switch and my Xbox uh, uh, One One X. So uh, yeah, uh, that's my my favorite Ghostbusters game of all time, definitely. Um, is- is it worth this guy who has it for the Xbox 360 rebuying it? Um, I mean, look, I'm a super fan, and you know what? If, if let's see, like for me, I have the Xbox One X, and I didn't realize graphically they really put a lot into it. Like visually, it looks really smooth and way better than the original release. So for me, they did a terrific job, and uh, it was worth the purchase for me. Okay, fair enough. I'll keep that in mind. So where can people follow your adventures on the web? I'm going to link to your stuff in my show notes. Definitely. So my main website I use is mcpr.com. That's www.letterm, the letter C, P-I-E-R-R-E.com. And I have links to, obviously, that's my main music site because that's one of my main things. But you can find my paranormal stuff, my comedy, and links to everything I do. If you want to find me on social media, my handle is at talented. That's talented with an extra E-D, um, kind of, you know. Because I do so many things, came up with my own terminology for myself, and uh, you can find me on, you know, Instagram and, and Twitter and all that stuff. So there you go. Awesome, awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for being here, and I hope to have you back soon, buddy. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Have a wonderful day. You too, man. Take care. I would like to thank Jean Pierre for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. Now to the community building part of the show, and community building tips are things that we use to promote the show and bring in more people into our fold, but cost you nothing and take less than five minutes of your time. And today's tip, I'm just going to ask that you listen to a little behind-the-scenes information for a podcast. It might not be super clear why we do these, but honestly, a huge part of what helps a podcast is just getting more listeners in. So that puts you, the listener, in the driver's seat. That makes you the most important person in the whole equation. You can help this show by just getting other people to listen to it. I don't want your money. I just want to see if we can get more people interested in the show. You can let them know. They can subscribe to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, YouTube. And we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.